Hello, this is Gerd Leonhard and welcome to my podcast. The way that we deal with monopolies, of course, is uh, is to first to realize that they are monopolies and to analyze it. I mean, it's, it's funny when we look back at, at uh, oil companies or gas companies being regulated or banks or telecoms being regulated because we realized they were too good in building up all this power and dominating and pushing out uh, competition and so on. But it was obvious with oil and gas. And it was obvious if we let the oil companies continue to drill in the coast of California, we'd be looking at results that weren't pretty. And now the problem is with data and technology companies that the results aren't so obvious. You know, we see the data pollution and the surveillance and the the abuse of data. We see that all in front of us, but it's not like you're going to see the oil coming out the ground or something. You know, it's it's less tangible. And so, really, what it requires again is uh, government and politicians and public officials and, of course, the civil society uh, is to bring those issues to the top and not constantly swipe them under the rug. And it's also important to see, of course, when we talk about technology, that the story of the future has been dominated by technology because they make the future products. And so there we can say the biggest example for how that has been derailed is social media. That started as a good thing, something that we could all appreciate, and I did for a long time as well. Uh, and then we realized, you know, they've become so powerful that they're invincible. And this requires, of course, personal restrictions, like I left Facebook as a result. Tough decision to make. But it does require uh, supervision and accountability and regulation and new social contracts. And this is something we have to do much quicker than we have. So we're going to see in the next decade uh, a rehumanization of technology. Because I think a lot of people are getting fed up with their, their essentially being the, uh, they're being the fodder of technology companies, uh, especially in social media. So there's going to be lots and lots of positive change there. Again, we learned after it happened. In many ways, you could say technology is kind of uh, a lot like a drug or maybe even a religion or both. Uh, a certain doses of it uh, is probably doable, depending, of course, on your own likings. But we don't prohibit smoking entirely or drinking alcohol or drinking coffee or eating. We say that if you overdo it with eating, yeah, you're going to get sick. If you drink too much, there are rules about that. So we have rules, we have social contracts, we have distribution laws and all these things to deal with those things. And the, the same we have to do with technology. So we have to basically say at a certain point, it should not be legal. Like, should you require that women give birth in a machine, right? Exogenesis, because it's safer and faster and cheaper than having a real life birth. You know, those things exist. I mean, bizarre stories here, right? Should the company be able to require you to, virtual, to wear a virtual reality helmet so you can work a hundred times as fast? And I would say, well, if people want to do that because there are certain missions that they have to do wearing these outfits, that's one thing. But a requirement, I think, is dehumanizing. So we need to have rules, regulations, and also social contracts that say, you know, at a certain point, leave the mobile phone off the table because that is what everybody else is doing. Right? It's a social contract. It's not a law. And imagine in 10 years when we have quantum computing, augmented reality, virtual reality, holograms, uh, and you know we can be superhuman. So there is going to be very important that we find out 
sometimes we can be superhuman, but we also want to be human right, to protect what makes us human. I think the, the decision-making process is difficult because it's culturally different. Uh, so in one culture, it's perfectly okay. For example, in Korea and South Korea, 80% uh, of people who are commuting in the evening, they buy their groceries using a QR code that hangs on the wall of the subway. <laughs> and they never go to a store. They buy their food with a QR code. And people think that is normal. Uh, of course, there's no real disbenefit to it. But it's, it's a, just an expression of culture. And of course, in China, people think of privacy entirely different. In Singapore, people think of the laws of what you can do when you're outside and, and how you're moving about and the tracking and stuff as different. So I think we have to come down to the bottom line of really simple things to define those on a global basis. For example, the right uh, to protect your own data and the right to give access to that data and a universal system for digital ID. I mean, imagine what happens when everything that you are is turning into data. So your, 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 your body data, your DNA, your biomes, your phenotype, your movements, you know, what we have today, but times 1,000, that could be very beneficial, for example, for fighting cancer. But we'd, we would need a sort of depository, a wave of, of me controlling what I want to give to others or not. Right, right now we have basically, the, it's all fair game, right? and that won't work. So clearly we're going to need ways of putting it into place where we have safeguards and protection, but not the disbenefit of barring ourselves. Yes, well, the internet business model is, is of course, ancient now. And it, it started off in a completely different direction in, in terms of what people were doing on the internet. And it, it wasn't really prepared for it becoming such a commercial vehicle now. And I think the challenge is for us to, to say, how do we reinvent the, the tradition of making money on the internet, which essentially is data tracking and surveillance and selling information and you know, things that most of us would consider to be abusive, in the extreme at least. Right? So the answer to that is we're probably going to end up paying a lot more for the things that we want, you know, paying for privacy. I can see a time where we're going to pay a basic fee to put our data in a locker, uh, for example, our healthcare data, to make sure that we have the right to remain private. I can also see a time where companies are going to have an entirely different policy on their data because they're getting a lot of pushback from people for abusive use of that data. I think we're, we're right now at this sort of uh, intersection where the old internet clearly is violating many things. And well, the new part will probably not even be called the internet, but the digital network of the future will have to be reinvented in so many ways. For example, uh, Tim Berners-Lee is doing that right now with his project of uh, creating a, such a data locker. And that needs to happen, I think, in the next decade as well. When you look at what privacy is, I think privacy really is a human right because it involves things like mystery and secrets and mistakes and allegedly free will, whatever the definition of that would be. <laughs> right? So as I'm, as I'm private, I am enabled to do those things. And that's why I think it's really a, a digital right that's very important, not just a principle. How we express that, that privacy right, I think needs to be partly regulated and partly optional. So, of course, you know, when I'm rich, I have other 
uh, I have other things, you know, I have other advantages I can do with that money. I can probably be more private rather than less private if I want to. Or if I'm really rich, I'm not private at all, of course. But yeah, the bottom line is I think it'll be a combination of my right on privacy that the state has to safeguard. The more we connect, the more we must protect kind of idea. And then there's optional things that I do with my privacy. Like I can buy a $10,000 mobile phone that's utterly private that nobody can hack if I have $10,000. Yeah. That part of it, I think, is just part of economics and business. And, and that's the, the prerogative of people who want to do that. But it does have to be a basic setting. Like, you know, every human has the right to work, has the right to self-realization, right? has the right to exist, has the right not to be killed. <laughs> Uh, and basic other rights should be, uh, as I laid out in my book, should be on top of this right. So digital human rights, as I call it. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. Find out more about my book at techvshuman.com. Technology versus humanity on Amazon.